Welcome to Free Christian Church of God's Audio Outreach Ministries. For more information regarding the Audio Outreach Ministries or to order past messages, please contact the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. And now, here's Reverend James Fry with today's message. 1 Samuel 17, lift your Bible in the air, say it with me. This is my Bible. It's God's infallible word. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have, and I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught the word of God. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 1 Samuel 17, we begin in verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko and Judah. They pitched camp at Ephesus Diamond between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs... He wore bronze greaves, and bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. God, I pray for your anointing over your word today. God, I know it's your word, and God, I know it's for this moment in time. But God, there are people here this morning that need to hear it. God, you brought us to hear it, not by accident, but on purpose. This is intentional. It is a divine appointment where, God, you want to speak to our hearts and our lives where we are living in the day and age that we're living. And God, challenge us to serve you. Father, I pray for your anointing to be over it, and God, the results, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Ephesians 6.12 warns us, we, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, for most of us, the only battles that we've ever known in life has been against flesh and blood enemies. Some of you are very experienced fighting against flesh and blood enemies. You're thinking of somebody right now, aren't you? You know how to fight flesh and blood enemies. You fought against those who abused you. You fought against those uh, uh, who have taken advantage of you. You've stood your ground and spoken your mind but as tough as you are, you have little or no experience in spiritual warfare. Paul said, our struggle. As a born-again Christian, you are a soldier of God, and you've been enlisted in a war for which you have no previous experience. The Apostle Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
You see, God is letting us know that there was something else at work here. There was a conflict in an unseen realm over the affairs of this world and over the details of your life. It is our struggle. While most people are caught up in politics and conspiracy theories and military force, while others are campaigning for their guy and loading their weapons and stockpiling toilet paper, God is letting us know that even those things are being manipulated by unseen spiritual forces. What is happening in our world today is a part of a much bigger picture that is not visible to the naked eye. It is a war between righteousness and unrighteousness. As a believer, you've been ushered to the front lines of this war, and you're now in a fight with spiritual enemies. Spiritual enemies can't be defeated with temporal weapons. Are you listening to me? You can't outpunch them, you can't outshoot them, and you can't outvote them, but they can only be defeated using spiritual weapons. What I'm telling you is you need to learn how to fight in a new way. You need to learn how to fight in the Spirit. You need to allow God to equip you and then understand how God has equipped you and what you're now capable of doing under His authority that you could never do under your own power. You need to learn how to defend yourself with the shield of faith and how to take out the enemy with the sword of the Spirit. In the days to come, the devil is going to step out in front of you and he's going to challenge you. And when he does, you're only going to have two, one of two options. You can either surrender to him or you can fight him. We're living in the last days, and in these final days, Satan has stepped into the path of God's church. And he's issued a direct challenge to God's people. He is daring us to take a stand for righteousness, and he's daring us to rise up and be holy. If you search history, you'll find that this world hasn't changed much. God's people have always been surrounded by sin and hatred and death. They've always been threatened by the, uh, at the focal point of attack. When Satan has cast from heaven, he declared war on God's creation and more specifically on God's people. And it's a war that, that will never end until our great general comes riding in on a white horse. The Philistines were evil people. They stood for everything that God's people stood against, and they stood against everything that God's people stood for. But when Goliath and his brothers threatened the nation of Israel and issued a challenge to them, instead of taking a stand, God's people took a knee. But that's what most people do. In the name of peace, most people just surrender. They allow the enemy to have his way and offer no resistance. That's why our world is in the shape that it's in. It's why our families are in the shape they're in, refusing to fight the enemy. We have backed up and backed down and compromised until we have no place to go. In this 21st century, good is called evil, and evil is called good. God's church has become the minority. We become the silenced and the stifled. And if ever we do take a stand for righteousness, we're condemned as troublemakers and we're accused of being opposed to the rights and the freedoms of other people and a threat to the peace of our society. So in return, many of God's people have just surrendered. We're threatened to maintain our silence. We're intimidated by the vocal majority in hopes that we'll keep from sharing the gospel our freedom of speech and our freedom of religion has been stifled, and it has some Christians kneeling in submission. 
Listen to me. You will never find victory if you bow in submission to Satan's threats. You'll never find victory if you run and hide like a coward, but if you're ever going to be victorious, you have to take a stand and go on the offensive and take the fight to the enemy. Sometimes you have to fight the bully. Many years ago, when Jimmy was just a boy, he was being picked on by the neighborhood bully. He'd come home whining and crying. Now, in his defense, she was a good-sized girl. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This bully would tease him and poke him and punch on him, and he would just stand there and take it, and then he would come home all upset. I finally told him, if the bully can do all of those things to you, without you doing anything back, he's never going to stop. So he said, well, what should I do? And I told him, you just might have to fight the bully, but fight to win. Don't wrestle with him, don't dance around, don't cur but curl up your fist and punch him right square in the nose. Now that goes against modern parenting, doesn't it? I never encourage my kids to fight. I never encourage them to pick a fight or to get into fights, but I did tell them if you are ever forced into a fight, make sure you win. There are times in life when we have to stand up to the bully and maybe even fight the bully. We've all had to face bullies at one time or another, whether it was when we were 10 years old on the playground or the bully at work who tries to push his responsibilities on us or even the bully in our community who intimidates people to do his will. Bullies are bullies because they have found success in being a bully. As a bully, they find that most people don't want to fight. Most people will become afraid, and most people will give in to their demands without any fear of recourse. They can hit you, but they know you're not going to hit back. They found success in being a bully. So they've stayed a bully. I remember a time when church people were people of power and authority. You didn't mess with God's people. Everybody knew where the church stood. Everybody knew where God's people stood. They were a holy people. They walked differently, and they talked differently, and they lived differently than the rest of the world because Jesus had made a difference in who they were. They were washed in the blood, set free from their sin, and no longer under the enemy's control. Their past was gone, and they were a new man or a new woman. Everybody around them knew that they were saved because their demeanor had changed, and their language had changed, and their habits had changed. Their hangouts changed, and their friends changed, but even more evident, they were no longer afraid of the enemy. They would fight for what was right. They would fight for their marriage, and they would fight for their children and fight for their country. But in this modern age... Since so much of the world has seeped into the church and so much of God's presence has left it, God's people have become weak. They become pushovers and patsies, so much so that it's sometimes difficult to tell God's people from everybody else. We surrender to the bully. 
We've compromised our position and bowed to the enemy's demands. We've lost our courage. We don't want to be offensive and we don't want to be divisive, so we become inclusive in our desire to fit into the world, to be politically correct and socially acceptable, to remain at peace with the world. We've lowered our standards and we compromise on the most basic fundamentals of our faith. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, To you who believe, Jesus is precious. But to those who are disobedient, he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus is offensive to sin. He is offensive to those who practice evil. He is a stone of stumbling to those who attack the gospel. But we're his people, and we don't want to be offensive. So we water down the gospel. We've recreated Jesus as a passive and weak man so the lost won't stumble over him. And we've rewritten the gospel so those who serve sin won't be offended by the cross. God's people once understood that all sin was offensive to God and bore a steep price. But now in the name of peace, we've surrendered. We've become to excuse sin and our weaknesses. The bully has stepped in front of us and we have bowed in submission. Satan has stepped into our path. He's trespassed on our territory. He's entered into our homes and into our schools and into our government, and he has dared us to take a stand. But instead of being people of faith, we have become people of fear, and we've submitted to the bully. We don't witness at work because we're afraid we'll get in trouble with our boss. We don't pray in public because somebody's told us that we're not allowed to. We, we don't defend our God or our faith in our community because we're afraid that somebody might think we're a fanatic and we have surrendered to the bully. There's some who are convinced that compromise is the answer. Let's just sit down at the peace table. Let's work some things out. Let me tell you something. When you compromise, you give up something. They're convinced that we can be in harmony with God and belong to the world at the same time. They believe that they can live their life in the middle of the road and play with sin, and when they need God, they just call on Him, and God will be there to help them, and then give them heaven someday when they die. They don't see the need to be in church every Sunday. They, don't, they, they think they're okay because they don't get drunk every weekend anymore. They no longer commit the big sins that they used to commit, but they do little or nothing for the kingdom of God but somehow they're still convinced that they're passing. There isn't much difference between their view of life and that of the world around them. They try to fit in with the church, but they also fit in with the world. But Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, a man can't serve two masters. He'll either love the one and hate the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. There is still a line of distinction between those who serve God and those who serve sin. We either live life in the favor of God or we live our life in opposition to him. We either stand with him or we have bowed to the enemy. In this day when Christianity is being challenged and threatened, if you don't stand for God, you have undoubtedly surrendered to the enemy. The Philistines were idol worshipers. They were immoral, unethical, and abusive. They warred with people who had no quarrel with them. They were terrorists. Terrorists isn't a new thing, folks. They've been terrorists around since the beginning of time because the devil has been around since the beginning of time, and he's the original terrorist. 
The Philistines didn't discern between soldiers and civilians. They didn't discern age or gender, but when they conquered a nation, everyone suffered and everyone died. They had no remorse for their cruelty. They were pure evil, the personification of Satan in the flesh. Goliath the giant was their champion. He was their heavyweight, and he was their hero. If they had a logo, Goliath would have been on it. They would have had, if they had had TV, he'd have been selling beer to their adults and athletic shoes to their teenagers and cereal to their little kids. Verse 8 9 says, For 40 days, Goliath stepped out in front of God's people. And for 40 days, he issued a challenge. He drew a line in the sand and he dared God's people to cross it. As I studied this, I couldn't help but think that 40 days must have somehow been significant. The time cycle of 40 days can be used to almost perfectly measure the rate of each passing solar year. Ancient writings and artifacts, including certain monuments, make it clear that the cycle of 40 days was once carefully traced. But 40 days in Scripture is symbolic of a time of testing. If you don't think that the Bible was put together by God, I want you to listen to this. Genesis chapter 7, the Bible, uh, the flood was 40 days and 40 nights on the earth. In Exodus 24, we're told that Moses spent 40 days on the mountain receiving the covenant from God. In Numbers 13, the spies sent out from Kadesh Barnea spent 40 days assessing the promised land. In Deuteronomy 10, after his people had sinned with the golden calf, Moses once again spent 40 more days on the mountain. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah, sustained by the food he was fed by the angel of God, fled for 40 days to Horeb. In Ezekiel 4, Ezekiel laid 40 days on his right side for the sin of Judah. In Jonah 3, Jonah cried out to the Ninevites to repent before God for 40 days. In Matthew 4, Mark 1, and Luke 4, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus spent 40 days on earth after his resurrection, proving that he indeed was alive and that he was the Messiah. 40 days is significant as a time of testing in a time of trial. If you have a problem for an hour, you can usually handle it. If you have trouble for a day, you'll probably be able to deal with it. If you're under a siege for a week, you might whine to your friends about it on Facebook, but you'll be able to get through it. You may be in the fight of your life for a month, but be able to muster enough strength and energy to bear it. But after 40 days have passed and your problem is still there, you begin to understand that this thing that's come against you isn't going away without a fight. You begin to understand that what you're dealing with is no idle threat or temporary setback, but after 40 days, you realize that this thing that has come against you isn't going to disappear on its own, and you begin to understand that without the help of God, you might lose this battle. My brother Bob was supposed to preach here today. But because COVID's going around again, his doctor felt that it was best that he stay at home. It was over four years ago that he was diagnosed with cancer. Since then, he's undergone multiple tests, multiple surgeries, and many, many rounds of chemotherapy. And every time he thought that he had it lick, it would come back. And now he is in stage four. Most people, when facing what he's facing, would just roll over and die. But my brother, who has been saved longer than me, and who has pastored longer than me, knows how to fight. He said to me, it is what it is, and I'll do what I need to do. 
It's not going to affect my day. It's not going to affect my life's plans. It's not going to affect what I do. And that's exactly what he's done and why he is still here and willing to preach when I call him. He just had a test done on Thursday where they scanned his bones and they scanned the place of the cancer. And they said, not only is it not growing in the bone, it is shrinking in the lymph nodes. Sometimes you have to fight the bully. It's in these times of challenge that you and I have to decide if we're going to stand or if we're going to kneel. You have to decide if you're going to fight or surrender. When the enemy confronts you, you can't bury your head in the sand or turn and run the other way, but you have to deal with the reality of your situation and the reality of your relationship with God. You have to come to grips with your faith, what you believe and what you don't believe, and then pray to God to help your unbelief. For 40 days, Goliath said, let someone fight me. And the loser will be servant to the winner. Goliath sounded confident, but bullies always do. Listen closely. Satan is a bully. And like most bullies, he doesn't want to fight you. He just wants to scare you. His success wedges on your fear. He wants to bully you into submission. He wants you to become so afraid that you forget that God has already defeated him. He wants you to forget that as a born-again child of the living God, the Spirit of God that lives in you is greater and more powerful than he is. The devil wants you to forget about your weapons. He wants you to lay down your sword and lay down your shield and run from the fight. The bully doesn't want to fight you. He wants to scare you. But sometimes you have to fight the bully. There are still some things in this life that are worth fighting for. Amen? Things like your husband or your wife. Things like your marriage. Things like your children. Things like your church or your community or your country. There are times when we need to fight because there are still some things in this life that are important and valuable and worth fighting for. Nehemiah 4.14 says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families and fight for your sons and daughters and fight for your wives and your homes. Don't be afraid. Remember who you're serving. God's people need to get their fight back. Instead of being a bunch of namby-pamby prissy sissies, God's people need to get some grit in their craw and some bone in their backbone and stand up to the enemy. Don't let him have your marriage. Don't let him have your children. Get some fight in your fight. We mistakenly believe that if we make it to heaven when we die, that's all that really matters. We've convinced ourselves that the only thing that really matters is how we finish. But I'm here to tell you today that there are battles before you right now that you need to fight and you need to win. There are fights that you have to fight and battles that you must win. If you don't, the consequences of your inaction will affect those that you love and are accountable to God for. Listen to me. There are people who are forfeiting battles with the devil every day, and they're convinced that it's not a big deal. There's no immediate consequences. Nobody seems to care. They never get caught, and nothing seems to change. So they're convinced that it's not a big deal. Daily, they're losing battles with alcohol and drugs, but they think it's no big deal. 
They're losing battles with immorality and pornography. They're losing battles with anger and jealousy. They're losing battles with their tongue and with their emotions. But they believe that as long as they end up in heaven when they die, none of it matters. They're losing battles in their walk with God. They can't make it to church every Sunday. They can't make it to Sunday school or Bible study. They're inconsistent. They profess one faith at church but live another at home in front of their family. They teach their children how to be hypocrites. They teach their teenagers that God is only important when they're in trouble and they're losing battles that are going to victimize their marriage and enslave their children because the loser always bows to the winner. Dad, I want you to know that those fights that you refuse to fight the enemies that are threatening you and your family are going to enslave you and your children if you don't stand up to the bully and win the battle that's in front of you. Countless fathers have lost a battle that they didn't think was significant, and now their children are enslaved by the same enemy. They picked up dad's bad language and dad's bad habits. They're drunk just like their dad. They're abusive just like their dad. They cheat on their wife just like dad did. Mothers have refused to fight, and now their children are servants to the same enemy. They've had the morals of an alley cat and slept with nearly every man in town, and now their children have grown up, and they're walking in mommy's footsteps. They're victimized by their boyfriends or their husband because they have learned not only how to choose a bad man, but they have learned to become an enabler just like mom. To cope, They've taken on mom's habit of popping pills or having a nightly drink so they can deal with the mess. The demons that mom refused to fight is now enslaving their children. They have refused to fight the bully, and the loser is now the servant to the winner. Once the devil has enslaved you, he's going to come after the people that are closest to you. He'll bind them with the same chains that he's bound around your neck. He'll inflict on them the same wounds that he's inflicted on you. They'll have the same struggles and the same weaknesses, all because you thought it wasn't important to win the battle that was in front of you. Mom and Dad, this isn't just your fight. You're fighting for your children. You're fighting for your grandchildren and for your great-grandchildren because the Bible says in Numbers 14, 18, that the iniquities of the fathers shall be visited upon the children to the third and fourth generation. You see, dysfunction breeds dysfunction. There are generational sins that have been destroying our families for decades, all because somebody didn't think that it was important for them to fight the bully. If you don't defeat Satan, you're going to serve him, and so will your family. What horrible nightmares are you passing on to your children and to your grandchildren because you have refused to fight? Forty days, Goliath challenged the Israelites, but nobody stood up to him. Now, it's normal not to stand up to Satan today. It's politically correct. It's socially acceptable. Nobody blames you if you don't. Many people will complain about you if you do. So a lot of people just take a knee. We allow too many evil and corrupt things into our homes and into our schools and into our communities and even into our churches because we don't have the guts to stand up for what we know is right. We don't want to be in a fight. We don't want to look like a fanatic. We just want to fit in with the world. So we stand for nothing and we kneel for everything. Christian, I believe that it's high time God's people stand up against some things. It's time that we are the ones who draw the line in the sand and say to the enemy, this is right and this is wrong. It's time that we let the world know that there is a choice because when the church stands for nothing, it will bow to everything. Victory isn't always an easy route. Sometimes there has to be a fight. Sometimes there has to be a war. But we have to understand that it is a war with the help of our sovereign God we will win.
We compromise too much and we settle for too little. It's the end thing today to be recovering from something. It's become a status symbol to be in counseling or to be in therapy for our problems. You go to the experts, but all of the so-called experts are telling you the same thing. They're telling you, you will always have this problem. So you just have to learn to understand it. You have to learn to cope with it, and you have to learn how to control it. They will tell you that if you're an alcoholic, you can quit drinking, but you'll always be an alcoholic. If you have a sexual addiction, you can carry that weakness for the rest of your life. If you're in trouble with anger, you just have to learn how to bridle it and manage it because it'll always be there. Listen to me. By that logic, nobody ever gets victory. Why would you go to somebody for help whose basic premise is, I can't fix your problem? If your car broke down, and you took it to a mechanic, and that mechanic told you, well, here's the problem. I found it. I can't fix it, but I can help you cope with it. Your engine's making this loud, clunking noise, but if you turn the radio up real loud and roll the windows down and put your hands over your ears, uh, it, your car is pulling to the right, but if you just put both hands on the left side of the steering wheel and pull down real hard, you would find a new mechanic, wouldn't you? What kind of preaching do you want to sit under? If our nation was under attack and Christians were being imprisoned and executed for their faith, what kind of preaching would you want to sit under? If the enemy was attacking your home and your family, if your marriage was on the rocks and your children were in trouble, what kind of preaching would you want to sit under? If you or somebody you loved was dying without any hope of recovery, what kind of preaching would you want to sit under? I'll tell you what, I want to be somewhere where I can find victory. Jesus said in John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. I don't think you heard me. When Jesus sets you free, you are no longer a captive, you are no longer enslaved, and you are no longer in recovery. Somebody needs to say amen. When Jesus saved Mary Magdalene, she didn't go around telling people that she was a recovering prostitute. Zacchaeus didn't tell people that he was a recovering thief. Peter didn't enroll in a lifetime anger management program. And Lazarus didn't carry a death certificate with him and tell people that he was a recovering dead man. Like the blind man that Jesus gave back his sight, he said, I don't know a whole lot. But I do know I was blind. I was blind. I was blind, but now I can see. When Jesus healed the blind, they were never blind again. When he healed the lepers, they were forever clean. When he resurrected the dead, they were fully alive. And when Jesus breaks the devil's bondage on you and sets you free, you are completely and forever free. Don't let the devil take that from you. Don't let anybody bully that out of you. And when the enemy draws a line in the stand and he stands in front of you and he challenges what God has said and what God has done in your life, don't kneel down and take it. Step over the line and fight the bully. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Somebody say all things. All things. And all means what? All means all and that's all all means. 
All things are passed away. Old things are passed away. Things like your old temper. Things like your old habits. Things like your old attitude and your old weaknesses. Things like your old approach to your marriage and your old way of leading your family. Old things are passed away. When something is passed away, it is deceased. It's dead and gone. Its life force has been removed, and it is permanently out of commission. If somebody comes up to me this afternoon and says, you know, Logan passed away, I'm not going to get on my cell phone and call him up and ask him what songs he wants to sing next Sunday morning. Because dead means dead. But I'm not sure God's people understand what that means. Paul said in Romans 6, 11, Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't be alive unto God until you're dead to sin. When you surrender your life to God, the person that you used to be no longer has life. Don't give your old nature life. I don't care what the devil's telling you. Don't give your old nature life. Don't give that old man or old woman of the flesh a chance to resurrect. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. He said, man, every morning when I get up for the day, before my feet hit the floor, I make sure that that man or that woman that I used to be is still stretched out in a coffin and buried in the graveyard. I have to make sure that nobody's been digging around in his grave. I have to make sure that the old crowd that I used to hang out with aren't holding some kind of seance and trying to bring him back. I have to make sure that he's not pulling a a, a zombie thing and trying to dig his way out. And if I have to put a stake through his heart every morning, I will do it. I die daily. You can't be alive in Christ and carry your old dead nature around with you. Some people try that. But the sad fact is, if you're carrying around a dead man, you're going to stink. And people will smell you because you're going to still smell like death. You might be alive, but you're still going to smell like a dead man. We have people today that claim that they're born-again believers who still stink. Some Christians have a stinking Christianity because they're carrying that dead man with them everywhere they go. You say, but preacher, you don't understand. I I can't just let go of those things. I can't just let them go. I I had some pretty nasty habits, and they're not easy to break. No, you don't understand. The person you used to be had some nasty habits. The person you used to be had a bad temper. The person that you used to be was abusive and mean, but because of the saving and redeeming power of the blood of Jesus Christ, you are no longer that person. The old man or the old woman that you used to be is dead. And dead means dead. The man that who had to have a drink, is dead. That woman who had to pop a pill is dead. That man who abused his children is dead. That mom who went crazy on her kids is dead. You've died with Christ, and God has raised you to a new life. The Son has set you free, but the devil is going to challenge the new life that God's given you. He's going to threaten you, and that is the battle that you have to win every day of your life. You have to fight the bully. If you've been born again, you're not just a better version of the person you used to be. You're not just a new and improved you, but you have a new mind and a new mouth. You have a new disposition. You have no bad habits and no hidden weaknesses. You have no personality flaws because the old man has been crucified with Christ. Old things have passed away, and you have to put off the old nature and take on the nature of Christ. Because that old man is dead, you can now be holy in your walk and holy in your talk and separated and sanctified to God. This is a battle that you can win. What I'm telling you is this. If the devil's standing in front of you right now, 
and he's threatening you, no matter how big he looks or how strong he appears to be, no matter what kind of reputation he has or how convincing he might sound, by the power of God, you can defeat him because Jesus has already defeated him. Fight the bully. Now, I like how this story evolves. It says that David went to the professionals. He went to those who were trained to fight. He, he, he went to the soldiers. He went to those who were paid to fight. It was their job to protect God's people, but they were intimidated by the size of the enemy. So they did nothing. They didn't do what they were trained to do. They didn't do what they were being paid to do. They didn't even do what they were supposed to do. People today tend to go to the professionals when they need help. I'll never forget a lady who came to me for counseling several years ago. She thought that's what she needed. She wanted me, to be honest, help her find her problem, resolve her problem. She thought that's what she wanted. But when I had, after speaking with her, when we resolved that her problem was spiritual and that it had something to do with sin in her life, immediately she stood to her feet and she said, I think I need to see a professional. I want you to know, I have the same degree on my wall as her professional. I have spent the same amount of time and the same amount of money on college and training, but it, I didn't give her the answer she wanted to hear, so she was going to somebody who would. The professionals refused to help. But here's David, little scrawny, nobody David. And David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Can you see the rest of them soldiers trying to shut him up? While the professionals were assessing the size and the strength of the enemy and concluding that it would be a lost cause, David had a better take on the situation. David wasn't threatened by the size of the giant because David knew how big his God was. <laughs> Do you know how big God is? How big is your God, church? How big is your God? Everything is relative. When your God is small, everything that comes against you will seem bigger. The devil will look bigger, your sickness will look bigger, your enemies will look bigger, your problems will seem insurmountable, and you'll be overwhelmed because your perspective is wrong. The Bible says that the soldiers all laughed at David because he was so little and Goliath was so big. But their perspective was wrong. There's some battles that this world will tell you that you can't win. There's some fights, or fights that good-intentioned people will tell you that you're going to lose. There are things that will come against you in this life that will cause your well-meaning friends to start planning your funeral. But I have a word from the Lord for you today. Get away from those people. Get away from those people. You don't need to hear the bad news. You need to hear good news. You don't need somebody telling you what's wrong. You already know what's wrong. You need somebody telling you what's right. You don't need some statistics nerd laying out before you what was and what is and what might be. You just need God in your life declaring what shall be. You know the story. David went down to the brook and he gathered five smooth stones, one for Goliath and one for the rest of his brothers. The Bible says Goliath came at a, to David to attack him. Now, I told you that the devil doesn't want to fight you. He just wants to scare you. But I didn't say that he won't fight you. Don't think that just because you stand up that the enemy is going to run the other way. The Bible says that Goliath came at David, and no David's response. David ran quickly toward the battle to meet him. David didn't run away, but he went on the offensive. 1 Samuel verse 40, 17, verse 45 says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come at me with a sword, with a spear and a javelin. 
But I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, and I will take your head from you. And this day I will give your carcass of, of the camp to the Philistines, to the birds of the air, and the wild beasts of the earth, uh, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all this assembly shall know that the Lord is not saved with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. If you talk like that, you better win. David took the first shot. Take the first shot. I, I've never understood these people who, when they get into a fight, will say to the other person, go ahead, I'll give you the first shot. That's just stupid. You give me the first shot, you ain't going to get the second one. David took the first shot and he hit Goliath between the eyes. And Goliath fell to the ground. And David ran up, pulled out Goliath's huge sword, and he cut off the giant's head. Finish the job. The fight isn't over until you know that your enemy can't get back up. Don't settle for a partial victory. Just because things are a little bit better than they were, you don't stop. Just because there's been some improvement, you don't stop. Just because you've had some relief, you don't stop. But finish the job and make sure that the enemy can't get back up. Verse 51 says, when the enemy saw that their hero was defeated, they turned and ran. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, James. I read a quote from Charles Spurgeon this week that said, God has given his people a sword and a shield. But the only weapon that the devil has is fiery darts. He has no shield. That's why when we resist him, he has to flee. The key to victory is your resistance. You have to know what you believe and what you don't believe. You can't fake it. You have to know who you believe in. You have to know the King of Kings. You have to know the sovereign God of heaven and earth. And when you do and the enemy confronts you and challenges you, fight the bully. Stand up, stand strong, and fight to win. Cross the line, fire the first shot, and then finish the job with the confidence that the battle you are facing is the Lord's, not yours. And he'll deliver the enemy into your hands. Father, today I thank you for the encouragement of your word. God, there are many of us today that are seeing battles. The enemy is standing in front of us, and he's challenging our marriages. He's challenging our families and our children. God, he's challenging our communities. And God, we, we have become pacifists. We have rolled over. We, we, we have knelt down in front of the bully. But God, I pray that today we will find our courage in Jesus Christ. We will find our strength in your word. And God, that we will stand our ground because the victory is ours, because you said so. Father, I pray today for those who are facing a battle at this very moment, God, might they get spend some time on their knees this morning, finding the strength that they need to have and the courage to stand up and win the battle that they're facing. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Reverend James Fry from Free Christian Church of God in Continental Ohio. We hope you have enjoyed today's message, and we would like to invite you to visit us next Sunday morning. Our Sunday morning services begin with Sunday school at 9.30, followed by the worship service at 10.30. Free Christian Church of God is located on the corner of State Route 15 and State Route 634, just north of Continental. For more information regarding this or other ministries, call the church office at area code 419-596-3103, or visit our website at www.freecog.org. 
This has been a Free Christian Church of God audio outreach ministries production.